Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, take it to the bank. Huge weekend. The Ravens had 12 draft picks. They improved their draft positioning. They just didn't stop trading, always be trading. They turned eight picks in this draft into 12, but they did lose their 2019 second rounder in the process. Me and my man Kyle P. Barber are going to kind of just come here and break down the draft. We already recorded this episode, but due to technical errors, we have to re-record it. But there's a lot to get to in this draft, and we're going to start with the highlight of it. In the seventh round, the Baltimore Ravens selected Zach Seiler, the defensive end from Ferris State, a D2 prospect. He's a monster production at D, in that D2 school. Who knows if he makes the roster because we were talking about before because the Ravens are so deep at, and on the defensive line. But this was a classic Aussie pick, and it's a special pick because it, it is his last one. Uh, Kyle, give me your in-depth analysis on this pick since you watched so much film on him. I didn't watch so much film on him. I heard that. I heard the way you said that, but... Uh, I did watch out his highlight tape after uh, after after he was picked, uh, trying to write up an article about him because I clearly didn't know who this man was before the Ravens drafted him. But uh, I saw a prototypical big man. Uh, I, I feel I, he looks good. He looks good on tape. The very first year I ever started writing about the Baltimore Ravens was my coverage of the 2013 NFL draft, just five years ago. And I broke down Matt Elam. I broke down Arthur Brown. It was a nightmare. But I also broke down Brandon Williams' tape. And I watched all of his film that I could find on YouTube because I was much more uh, – I had much more effort back then is what I, I'll, I'll attribute it to. And I watched Brandon Williams and I went, this guy's good. This guy's really good. And I think he's going to be able to pull I, – I think he can. I think he's going to be able to do something here. I really do. And I actually ended up writing about it. I'm pulling it up right now on my laptop because I'm, I will always brag about me being this good on calling something out. And here, here's what I said verbatim. I don't know of Mr. Williams. He looks big and his video shows he possesses impressive awareness skills. He finds the ball and forces his way towards it, whether it's pushing, shoving, spinning, or bull rushing, he will attack. As a small town school to be drafted by Ozzy, he must be a dominant force every game every play and show he is better than the small school he's playing for. You can't slow down or be just good enough, but push it every snap of the ball, practice or game. I like this pick and the coaches all wanted him in the third. I like it. I feel the same thing can be said for Zach Seiler. He works very hard. He didn't play just good enough. You know, he could have he could have just relaxed as a D2 prospect at Ferris State, but he didn't. And he played damn well. And Ozzie Newsom, with his final pick of his 22-year career as the general manager of the Baltimore Ravens, picks this man. And I think he's going to do well. I think he's going to do well. The Ravens in the first round, shocking the way the board fell. 
No one really thought that Colton Miller was going to go top 15 like he did. No one expected Tremaine Evans and Derwin James to be there at 16. They were. And the Ravens were kind of forced with a dilemma, right? Because they were able to either trade back, which they ended up doing, or take one of these blue chip defenders, which I am on record. I, you can see my Twitter page. I, they should have taken Derwin James, and they shouldn't have thought twice about it. But that was, that was kind of what – and later we'll get to an interview with Ken McCusick, and he brought up a great point. Because what the Ravens got from the Bills compared to what the, the Packers got from the Saints isn't even close to the same market. So they really didn't get great value for this pick. And they went back to the 20, 22nd overall pick. And then they traded back again. But to me, this was a terrible choice by Ozzie. And I know everyone's going to talk about, well, this is how they got Lamar Jackson. This is how they got all these 12 picks. But the reality is they passed up on a guy who I think is going to be a Hall of Fame player. They passed up on a guy that could have made their defense much, much better. I know safety's not a pressing need, but the reality is, is that Eric Weddle is only signed through 2019. I know he had six interceptions last year. Terrible in coverage at times. Tony Jefferson was not anything close to what we thought he was going to be. So to me, this was a, an asinine decision to say the least, to pass up on Derwin James. You could even make the argument for Tremaine Edmonds because the Ravens have a needy inside linebacker. The guy can play inside and outside linebacker. He's great in coverage. He's athletic, and he's only 19 years old. So I could see an argument for either one because they were both sitting there just saying, please take me with the 16th overall pick. I'm sliding, and I'm falling into your lap, and they didn't do it. So they traded back. They got Hayden Hurst. Uh, Kyle, give me your thoughts on Hayden Hurst. Slash, do you think they should have taken Derwin James? I really wanted Derwin James uh, when we were all talking in our group chat. Uh, I was really upset initially by the Ravens not taking Derwin James or Tremaine Edmonds. I felt the same way as you. Either of these players would have been great for the Baltimore Ravens. The, they are needs, as you mentioned. While they don't look like they are pressing needs, they certainly are something you need to go after within the next couple of years. And one of these top prospects could have easily helped this team for the next five to ten years. But that being said... If you told me I could either have Derwin James slash uh, Tremaine Edmonds, or I could have Hayden Hurst plus Lamar Jackson, I feel like I'd have to go with the latter. Uh, I definitely like Hayden Hurst's ability. I like being able to give Joe Flacco a weapon. I like being able to finally put some stock into some offense. Every year this team folds and they go up with a defensive prospect, and they didn't this year even when they were great prospects, incredible prospects, that many, as yourself mentioned, could become a Hall of Fame player. But that didn't happen. The Ravens didn't fold. They acquired more picks. They worked the draft. They maneuvered. And Ozzie Newsom ends up with Hayden Hurst, the number one tight end in the draft, rated by many. And they also ended up with Lamar Jackson, who won a Heisman Trophy in college and some say is the most electrifying player in college football over the last two years. I don't see a reason why this was bad in the end, but I certainly wasn't happy with it at the beginning. It's very tough. No, and I think that that makes sense, but my whole argument and, and the crux of my argument is that I still think they could have found a way to sneak back in the end of the first round and get Lamar Jackson, even if they stayed put at 16. They still could have found a way to do it. They just wouldn't have had probably 12 picks in this draft, which you could argue they didn't really necessarily need because we were crunching numbers before the podcast and you were kind of yelling at me. You're like, dude, it's only April, but... They're not gonna, I don't know if they're going to be able to keep everybody they drafted. I don't think there's, that they're going to be able to keep all of them. So I'm not going to say they're a waste of picks, but all I'm saying is you could have found a way to get Lamar in the first, and you could have found a way to keep, get, get Derwin James. That would have been a slam dunk, A-plus draft. Decided to pass up on a generational talent in James for Hayden Hurst. Uh, my issue with Hurst 
He doesn't drop the ball. Uh, the Ravens uh, brass said that in their press conference. They said the dude just doesn't drop the ball, which he doesn't. You know, that's that's something that I want to iterate. His hands are, are are his greatest strength. He is not. He is a great athlete and he's a solid blocker. And his production in college was kind of limited because of his because of poor quarterback play. But my issue with him, and he's great after the yards after the catch. But my biggest issue with him, as opposed to Goddard, is I think Goddard's just a much better athlete and I think that Goddard is a much better route runner and Goddard creates more separation and that's why I think Goddard would have been the, would, have, would have been the better pick here but you can't go wrong addressing the tight end um, they get Lamar Jackson and I guess Lamar Jackson to me it's the end of the Joe Flacco era I'm ready to just say it you know Joe Flacco has one more year I don't care what he does this year unless he wins them a Super Bowl Joe Flacco's not on the roster next year I don't care if he has a career year throws for 4,000 plus yards Joe Flacco's not on the roster next year it's just that simple for 26 and a half a million dollars it's just not going to happen He's going to be a post-June 1 cut next year, and they're going to roll with Lamar Jackson, if not earlier. Who knows what happens in, in the middle of the season. But Lamar Jackson, I love the pick. I love his fit in Marty's system. Marty talked about his kind of development with Michael Vick. They know what they're getting with him. But I want to get to the, to the third round, I guess, because the Ravens didn't have a second-round selection. And in the third round, the Ravens traded back twice. Um, and both times were questionable, in my opinion. At 65, they traded back at the first pick in the third round with the Raiders. And... There were several playmakers there, but the Ravens opted to trade back, and then they went to 75, and then at 75, they opted to trade back again, even though Michael Gallup was there. And to me, that was a huge mistake because Gallup, to me, was the best receiver in this class, but they traded back on Gallup, and I think that's the problem is look at the receivers that they got compared to what they could have gotten with Gallup. So they ended up getting Orlando Brown, which is nice. Uh, He's a really good tackle, and we'll get into him in a little bit later. But what are your kind of thoughts, Kyle, about the receivers they did get compared to what they could have got? Because they did pass up on a bunch of guys. You're right. They definitely passed up on a few players. Um, Equinemius St. Brown was somebody that I was really focused upon. I wanted Michael Gallup as a receiver for the Baltimore Ravens. He's a CSU product where I'm attending right now. And, and that would have been really fun to try and catch an interview with him over at, at the Lorry. But neither of those came to fruition, and instead the Ravens ended up with Jaleel Scott and Jordan Lasley, which are which are good players. Uh, I, I won't I won't knock them as as they're bad. They're both pretty talented individuals. You could argue that Jaleel Scott is another version of Equinemius St. Brown, uh, and in that aspect, you're you're playing which one sounds better, which one do you believe has more upside, and it looks like the Ravens had. Jaleel Scott as the man with more upside because they had the opportunity to pick either of them multiple times, multiple rounds, and that's who they decided upon. Jordan Lasley is a high upside guy. I think they're they're actually building him for the future. Uh, I think that's where they're going with him is for the, the Lamar Jackson era, whether that's next year or the year after. I'm not sure, but I certainly feel like he is not there to be a day one starter. They have Michael Crabtree. They have Willie Sneed. They got John Brown. They now have some other players on there, but as far as it stands for me, I truly believe that he was a uh, he's a pick for the future, though he may be able to contribute now. He has a high upside. Uh, many know of him as a big hitter on the on the field as far as production-wise. I'm not talking about him tackling anybody. I mean it more as he's the home run guy. He's the one that you target for some big playability. Unfortunately, he also has one of the worst catch percentage, worst drop rates in college football over the last two years, which is a nightmare for Ravens fans as they've witnessed the the drops occur from Brashad Perryman. They've watched it occur from even Chris Moore, and he's dropping it into a defensive back's hand. So it's definitely worrisome. I, I would have preferred 
some other receivers on there a little bit. I wanted Michael Gallup. There's no two ways about it. I liked Equinemius St. Brown. I love his size. I love his production. I liked watching his hands on his highlight reel. He makes some serious catches that are very tough. But Jaleel Scott had one of the best catches in 2017 with a one-hander in the back corner of the end zone, and it was a pretty damn good catch. It's tough. It's tough, but I, you know what? I'm going to try and trust Ozzy. They haven't done real well with with wide receivers. Ravens fans know it, but in the uh, end, that's where think? I'm sticking with. That's where I'm sticking with. Trust in Ozzy. In well, Ozzy, we trust. So that's the, the thing, though, is that not having that second-round pick in, in this draft kind of hurt them because that's where most of the receivers were, the quality receivers went. Uh, Cortland Sutton went. Dante Pettis, which was definitely a surprise, went. That's where Kirk went. Anthony Miller also was selected in the second round. James Washington by the Steelers. So that's kind of where like the top, the, the next tier of receivers went. So Gallup was really, in my eyes, the last of that second tier group of receivers that went, even though he's in my first tier. But there was just so many guys that they, they missed out on because of not having that second round pick and they just weren't aggressive enough to trade up, which I don't blame them for at all. But then they go and they trade back twice out of Gallup. Like the first time that made sense, like, like, because I didn't think Gallup, I think it was still too early for him. I mean, I would have taken him whenever, but they traded out at 65. They had another chance at him at 75. And I think that's what makes it so painful is that they had a chance to get this guy because Gallup would have been an instant impact player at 75. And then at that point, you still would have had the 83rd pick to get Orlando Brown, but you trade back again. So then you get the 83rd, or they get the 83rd and the 86th overall pick. And they end up getting Orlando Brown and Mark Andrews. I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I hate the Mark Andrews pick. I absolutely hate it. I understand that they, they want to rebuild the tight end position. I know Nick Boyle, Max Williams, Vince Mail, Darren Waller, pending reinstatement. Those guys aren't difference makers in the passing game. But you could have gotten Ian Thomas much later. I think Ian Thomas went in the fifth round, if I recall correctly. So you could have waited on Ian Thomas for later instead of, re, instead of going and grabbing Andrews, who's not an athletic guy. He's got sure hands. He can go get the football. But he's not, he's not that, that athletic prospect that you want. And he, the guy can't block. So you're pretty much only having him on there for – He's pretty much just a glorified slot receiver, if we're being honest. So I hated the pick. There was other options I would have loved to take there. But it just frustrated me that they passed up on Gallup twice. Orlando Brown, to me, I know he had the horrendous combine, but you have to trust the tape. The tape tells you this guy is a top-tier tackle. I mean, let's not forget before the combine, he was considered the best tackle in this class. The guy, His technique might be sloppy. His footwork can definitely improve, but the guy doesn't allow pressures. He doesn't allow sacks. He kept Baker Mayfield upright all, all, all year. Phenomenal player, uh, great attitude. You could tell he wants to be in Baltimore. This is it's something special to him because of his because of his father. His father played here, so the kid has a connection to Baltimore. He wants to be here. I believe that he's going to be a starter from day one. It was a great pick. I love the Orlando Brown selection. Then you go to the fourth round. The Ravens had three picks in the fourth round, and another frustrating kind of round for the Ravens, where they traded back. They got Anthony Everett, cornerback from Alabama, who's a little smaller guy. Put him in the slot. Could even play free safety. He's fast. Uh, he's very athletic. But it was just your classic Ozzie Newsom best player available pick as opposed to other people there. And I understand that there are other um, needs other than wide receiver. Maybe it might have been too early to take Equinemius St. Brown or Deion Kane. Both those guys fell pretty hard a lot more than we expected them to. But they waited, and then they took Jordan Lasley, who you said at the worst drop rate. Did, wasn't Harbaugh the guy who said during his press conferences that they want to look at receivers who have good hands? Wasn't that what he said? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, wide receiver. Yeah, the importance is catching the ball on this team. And that, that is my frustration with the Jordan Lasley pick. But I do want to go back up a little bit because you mentioned Anthony Averett. Uh, I'm really excited about this pick. Uh, Marlon Humphrey made comments about it on Twitter saying that the, uh, 
the NFL draft is sleeping on Alabama corners. Averett's won two championships. He's been an SEC champion three times. You don't do that accidentally. Yes, the Bam, Alabama has a, an incredible football program, and they're always going to be in the conversation. But you still have to go through Auburn. You still have to go through the SEC to win these. And that's what they did. They played some seriously dynamic players, including Deshaun Watson they had to go up against. And that's the only reason he's not a three-time championship. You know, and these are these are hard players, and I really like the Averett pick. I know it's BPA, and that's kind of frustrating, certainly when we see the Ravens have all of these fantastic corners. You got Tavon Young, who's super – he's young, no pun intended. You have – but he's coming off an ACL tear. You got Marlon Humphrey, who had an incredible rookie season, but – Rookie seasons are one thing, and, and holding that continued success over your entire career is another. you got Jimmy Smith, who is perennially injured with a season-ending injury. you got Brandon Carr, who's only under contract for so long, and he's getting older. And you, even Baltimore Beatdown mentioned they should have traded him right before the end of the uh, right before the end of the deadline last year and scooped up a second-round pick. We really think you could have got the second- or third-round value out of him because – he has a super easy contract. He's never been injured in his entire career. He's always made the start. So I like the Averitt pick because it keeps the team younger. They didn't have to reach early or you know, or drop too low in the draft. I think it was a really good pick. Well, you can never have too many corners. I, I'm not really that against the Averitt pick. I'm just against the fact they waited so long for receivers, and then when they did select the receiver, they selected a guy who has who – has the second most red flags in this draft next to uh, Antonio Callaway, who went, ended up going to the Browns. But, and I get it. Everyone's like, oh, well, he was just drunk in college and just being a, a kid. That's fine to me. But don't just brush this off. He was immature. He got suspended multiple times by his team for violating team rules. They never specifically said what it was. But he does have some character concerns. And, for, and, and you can't just brush it off to say, oh, he was a kid because he still is a kid. And you need someone who's going to be mature in the locker room. You need someone that's going to be willing to put in the work to be, be special because, quite frankly, the Ravens' receiving core in two to three years is going to be filled with, with these kind of guys who they draft now because Crabtree's on a three-year deal. Brown's only on a one-year deal. You don't know what's going to happen with him. Sneed's on a two-year deal. So in two to three years, the Ravens are trying to build this receiving core, and, and the guys you draft this year, foreseeable, are trying to be the next guys. So to me, it makes You're right. It, it makes right. no sense. And then you take Kenny Young, the inside linebacker from UCLA. I mean, it's an intriguing pick, but, I mean, the guy was considered a, a, a sixth or seventh rounder at best. I mean, he's solid in coverage, but, I mean, that, that's what he's kind of known for. But to me, that was just a reach. I don't think any – and he wasn't the best player available on my board for sure. I think about it is the Ravens needed to find a compliment to C.J. Mosley – and being a being a coverage linebacker, they need a coverage linebacker desperately. I've wrote about it. I've relinked it on half of my articles because I will. I will. I will. This is the line in the sand for me: is C.J. Mosley is an All-Pro linebacker, but he has to have somebody beside him to pick up the slack because he can't do all of it. He can't. He is great at A-gap blitzes. He is capable of sacking quarterbacks. He's incredible in the run game. He will stop you. He will force fumbles. He can make picks in coverage when he's not asked to cover tight ends and running backs like Le'Veon Bell. It's it's incredibly difficult to stop that man on any on any team. Yeah, you you yeah, can only have, what, don't. Luke Keekley is one of the only ones that can possibly do it. It's incredibly difficult. But I like Young. I'm not saying he's going to be able to cover Le'Veon Bell. Please don't take that as what I'm trying to say here. I do like that pick, though. 
But you've convinced me, Logan. Congratulations. That I was I was slightly up for I was you know I was like willing to brush off the Lasley pick. I was. But now I'm getting more frustrated as we talk about it and we really go through it because this is the pentultimate non-Ravens pick. This is a man with bad hands. This is a man with hands issues. He has character concerns. He got in a fight with practice, got suspended, got suspended three for three games for issues that they never mentioned. He was arrested twice for possessing alcohol as a minor and then also getting thrown out of the club for using a fake ID. Thank you. And, and this isn't a Ravens pick. And maybe they're trying to not just do Ravens picks, or maybe this would have been an Eric DaCosta move. We don't know. Speculation is we're never going to be able but, to find the answer that, on it. That's my issue. And that, but that, yeah, I definitely I agree with you. Uh, that, I don't that, like the Jordan Lasley pick as much anymore. That's the issue. Is like Mel Kiper is on there saying that he's like a first round talent if he didn't have these character concerns, and I just don't see it because I watched the guy's tape and he, it's filled with drops. And then he goes to the combine where you you're supposed to answer the questions. You know, the combine's supposed to be where you where you put all your, 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 your doubts and all the knocks on you, and you're supposed to erase them a little bit. That, that's where you kind of get to fluff up your draft stock, and he drops a million passes in the gauntlet. You know, so he looked even worse at the combine. Like, all the combine did to me was show me that this guy can't catch the football. So you can go back and watch the combine if you can find the tape. He can't. He, he messed up in the gauntlet drill when no one was near him, so that's something concerning. And then I just noticed this, and I, and I really didn't – I guess I underplayed it – they took Jaleel Scott over Jamon Moore, and to me, that's another mistake. Jamon Moore from Missouri was was a very good receiver. I was very high on, thought he could have been a great receiver for the Ravens, and that's the that's the thing. And I guess I'll just like unleash about this Lasley pick now that we're on it. Is they were able to to select him? I, I guess it was in the right range, sure. But here's the thing. Here's my bottom line. In the fifth round, they they held that pick and they traded it away to the Tennessee Titans, and the Tennessee Titans took Dane Crookshank. Dane Crookshank's a better version of Deshaun Elliott. Of totally different players, but he's a better fit for the Ravens' system. Dane Crookshank could have been that, that rangy, free safety, center fielder type player that you needed to replace Weddle and Jefferson when they call it a career. Or you could have moved Jefferson down in that nickel-dime package, whatever you want to do, but, but Crookshank could have been used in so many different ways for this defense, and they passed up on him. He was the best player on the board, and he fell that, that far down. I don't know how you could pass up on him. And then you trade back, and then when you trade back, you take you take Jordan Lasley, and you take him over Equinemius St. Brown, who I, who I was very high on, but I think that the, the internet world was much higher on Equinemius St. Brown and Deion Kane than the draft world, right? Because they fell and, that, and that's where it is. Expected. That's where the line is crossed between between fans, between reporters, between media, between writers as ourselves, uh, editors, you know, and, and really in film watchers, everybody, and the actual teams in the NFL's real big boards. Because you had them very high, and apparently the Ravens didn't, and apparently many NFL teams didn't. Because do you, let's just look at the first round of the draft. Colton Miller went what fifteen? Yeah, fifteen. Uh, many players, yeah, many players that we didn't even have on our boards on one, maybe even on two, somehow go up. The Saints traded a king's ransom to whomever for Marcus Davenport. When yeah, they, they traded, we were begging that he doesn't fall to 16 because we didn't even want him. Yeah, they, they so traded the, that's the, where the it house. Ends. They traded the house yeah. for him. But I, exactly. I, and then they and that's go. Where, and that's where it goes, I think, is is in the end, 
we have different draft boards. Um, Crookshank definitely was a good prospect. Uh, you talked about him before. I watched a little bit of stuff on YouTube about him. I didn't watch too much. I'm not going to lie. But I definitely think that, you know, the Ravens picked who they truly thought were the best prospects on the board at the time. And they also did the value of we can take this guy or we can try and get another fifth round pick and this guy instead, who's not much worse than this guy, you know, and they, and they did a lot of evaluating. And this is also all under the time, uh, under the time frame of however many minutes each round lasts. Okay. But that, and, that makes sense. Big. That makes sense until you, until you factor in the part that they're telling you that they're in a win now mode. All of their moves up to this point have told you that they're in a win now mode. They get to the draft and they're playing the draft. Like they're trying to half-ass rebuild. And that's the thing we talked about on the other one that never aired is that they half-ass everything where they're half-assing a rebuild, but they're also half-assing a win-now mode. So they're collecting all these picks to get these young, this young infusion of talent, but they're not really necessarily getting the right pieces, in my opinion. I mean, Deshaun Elliott is a talented player, and he was a steal with the sixth pick. And I think that was the best pick of their day three draft, for sure. Don't get me wrong, but the issue with it is where does he fit in your defense? Uh, Vasily pointed out, is he such a similar player to Chuck Clark and Anthony Levine? I don't know where you're going to put Elliott because he's, he's not a rangy free safety. He's a box safety so I don't know what you're going to do with him. I, I question the pick of Greg Sennett um, from Wagner. I get it, he's a developmental prospect, but to me, I just, uh, I don't know. That was a tough pick for me. And then Bradley Bosman from uh, center from Alabama, I love that pick. I think he can come in and compete for the starting job right away. And that, that, that's not just me fluffing the pick up. I think he can genuinely compete for the starting job. He was phenomenal really? in Alabama. I'm surprised his, by that. His, I am surprised by that. His tape was good. I don't, I'm not saying he's going to win the job, but that kid can compete. There's no way, there's no doubt. I wouldn't, I would be surprised if that kid doesn't make the roster next year. And then their final pick in the seventh round, obviously we talked about before, uh, the Division Two player. He's going to be good, by the way. Two he, things. One, I don't see Bozeman competing against Matt Skura for the starting center position. Matt Skura stepped it up. He all of a sudden became a good left guard, and that was without Marshall at right guard. So everybody on that offensive line stepped up really well and started producing. Austin Howard was good. James Hurst was a good to great guard. Terrible tackle, but a great guard. Ryan Jensen stepped up his game. Matt Skura stepped up his game. Ronnie Stanley played well. I think Joe D'Alessandris, his, his different line schemes, his different blocking combinations, really helped this entire line from other blocking schemes. But uh, the, the one that I do say is Zach Seiler, I think, is going to be a good player for the Baltimore Ravens, that, even though he was a seventh-round pick. That makes sense. Like, and that, I'm not disputing any, anything that you said. Uh, I just will say that, that playing center at Duke and then playing center in the NFL is much different. Just like playing guard in the NFL is much different than playing center. So I just want to right. see how Skura, I just want to see how Skura transitions to that position. But I just think oh, he'll, I think he'll compete. I uh, just before we get out of here, I just want to touch up on the other AFC North teams. Um, I thought I liked what the Browns did. Uh, questionable selection in the second round. They took Austin Corbett over Will Hernandez. But the idea behind it, from what I'm reading and hearing is that they took Corbett because Corbett has the versatility to seemingly play every position on the line. Will Hernandez is more your just typical guard and just a mauler. So, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. And I understand their point. Like you mentioned, they, he's a capable he, – he may be capable of any position on that line. But Will Hernandez, the drop from Quentin Nelson to Will Hernandez, it's big. It, it, well, it's not, it's not vast, but it is, it's a decent drop. But he's still a damn good guard. And I really am confident in him playing uh, very at a very high level 
in this next in this next competition in the National Football League. But Quentin Nelson's going to be a star prospect, and, and but I did think Will Hernandez was going to be really good. Yeah, and then the Browns they took Chubb, uh, Nick Chubb from uh, Georgia, running back. Uh, that's a great pick. Chubb's one of the most underrated prospects in this class. I, I think that the issue with Chubb is his injury history, especially with his knee, and that makes sense because obviously durability concerns is something very serious, and, and NFL teams obviously take a lot of consideration for that. But if he can stay healthy, all I'm going to say is look out, Baltimore, because with Chubb, Duke Johnson, um, uh, fuck, Carlo, Carlos Hyde, I mean, that's a pretty ferocious running back core. And then I didn't like the Chad Thomas pick, but then uh, they took Antonio Callaway. Wow. Big move. That big, was gutsy. That's big, gutsy. Big move by them. And the issue with that for me He's got a lot of red flags. Who knows what happens with him and Josh Gordon, but Josh Gordon seemingly is on the straight and narrow path now. And if, and if Antonio Callaway can stay on the straight and narrow path, that receiving core might be one of the best in the league. And I'm not just saying that because I like the Browns. I'm a Browns supporter, I guess, but because I like their moves. But Callaway, Coleman, Gordon, Landry, that's a really, really good wide receiver core. I mean, some people, were saying, some people were saying that Callaway is the best receiver in this class, but his red flag, his issues off the field – push him down the board so yeah. and then they got Gennard Avery from or Gennard Avery from Memphis linebacker who fills up that that uh need for them so that was pretty good the Steelers I thought had the worst draft in the north um in the AFC North they reached they reached on the first and then their pick of Marcus Allen I really do think was a makeup pick after the reach on Terrell Edmonds in the first I said that earlier I will stick by it I think that was them going yeah, we kind of messed up. It really wasn't Tremaine Edmonds. <laughs> no, what's interesting because they're both kind of box safety guys. Marcus Allen kind of could also play that that role that Anthony Levine plays for the Ravens, that nickel and dime package kind of line, the hybrid linebacker type thing. Uh, they got Chuck Wuma, Okua 4, uh, probably saying that wrong, but they got him uh, very inconsistent, definitely a project, a little too early in the third round for me. I think this weak tackle class pushed him up, but – Definitely not a day one starter. And then they paired up James Washington with Mason Rudolph. I love Mason Rudolph. I think that he's going to be a really talented quarterback. I think if he sits under Big Ben for a little bit, that's a really good pick for them. Uh, they probably got their potential starting quarterback for the future, franchise quarterback. I don't love James Washington, though. I think that's, that's a rough pick. And then I hate to say it, but the Cincinnati Bengals had the – I think the Cincinnati Bengals might have had the best draft in the, best draft in the entire NFL. They got in the NFL, I, not not just the AFC North, but the NFL. They're definitely top three in my opinion. I, I'd have to wow. review it more, but I love what they did. They got Billy Price, who was arguably the best center in the class. Jesse Bates probably shouldn't have been there at the fifty fourth overall pick, but he's a great rangy safety, great coverage ability. They got Sam Hubbard and Malik Jefferson back to back. Both uh, Sam Hubbard's great with his hands, great at the point of attack, phenomenal edge rusher, and then Malik Jefferson's. Excellent in coverage. Mark Walton's an underrated running back from Miami. And then they got Logan Woodside, who's kind of that interesting quarterback, late-round quarterback that not many people are talking about. And on top of that, they got Auden Tate in the seventh round, who was who shouldn't have been there either. Another receiver the Ravens passed on. Auden Tate's a red zone threat. Play speed is a concern, but the guy is phenomenal in the red zone. He's, he's huge. He can make the contested catches. Got great hands. I mean, the, the Bengals got significantly better, in my opinion. I sure hope not, because I'm really sick and tired of the Bengals. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now. I did see I, I, this isn't really any contribution to their draft other than Malik Jefferson was the pie pick. And for people that don't know, that is round three, pick 14, 3.14. 
and Pizza Hut hands out pizza for that winner for free for a full year. So he, sh- he, he tweeted out the address he was going to in Cincinnati, said, I'm going to be here from 3 to 3.30 tomorrow. Come join me for free pizza. And at 3.45 the next day, a Cincinnati reporter said, Malik Jefferson didn't even go to his pie party afterwards, which is just perfect because the Bengals always disappoint and it's never too early to begin. You think they always disappoint? Yes. The last time they won a playoff game was 1990. 1990? 1990. You weren't alive. I wasn't alive. That's how it works. So now we're going to quickly go. I got an interview just myself and Ken McCusick from Russell Street Report. Uh, He brings the analytics sides of the argument to everything. So I sit down with him. We talk about the Ravens draft, and we'll get right to that. So now I want to welcome on to the Take It to the Bank podcast. You might know him as Film Study, where he writes for Russell Street Report. We got Ken McCusick. Ken, what's going on, man? Life's good, Logan. How's it going? Good, good. Thank you so much for for giving us some of your time here. And we're just going to get right into it. The Ravens, they made a splash. You know, not many people were expecting Lamar Jackson to to actually be drafted by Baltimore, especially the fact they traded in to the first round to get him. What is your kind of takeaway and what what are your thoughts about the Ravens getting Lamar Jackson? It's a it's a risky pick. Um, I'm I'm not generally a fan of running quarterbacks, but but my reasons are not because I don't like it. I don't think you can win offensively like that. My problem is that it's a high injury risk on the player. So Lamar Jackson, uh, Michael Vick, if you look back, Tyrod Taylor, RG three, other running quarterbacks of the past. As you go forward back, none of them had super long careers. They all have some issues with injuries from the from the. Uh, uh, risk of running the ball. Lamar Jackson made his living at Louisville with designed runs. Almost between 70 and 75% of his yardage he got on the ground was designed runs as opposed to scrambles from the pocket. And when you have that, you realize that his the passing game that he generated and the need for the opponent to have a spy, for example, and the other ways they needed to defend against him probably helped him a lot as a passer. And so I think that that probably is a constraint, and I don't think he's going to necessarily be able to do the same things at the NFL level in terms of forcing the defense to do certain things. But that would be one thing that I, I would hope he could do is that he can force the opponent to have a spy and, uh, and essentially have one less uh, man in zone coverage. So sticking with Lamar Jackson, I guess now everyone's kind of talking about Marty Morningweg and Greg Roman's experience with mobile quarterbacks a la Michael Vick. Do you think that he's a good fit in Baltimore's system, specifically Marty's? Well, I, I, not as it's not as it's set now, but they'll they'll have to fix it for him. I mean, he he demands his own offense, which is you bring up a good point because he's not an ideal backup quarterback for that reason. So if you have him, you have to have a package of plays that works for him. And if you and and Flacco is a you know standard drop back quarterback with some play action, it's a really a different set of plays that works for him. Uh, I think it's going to be a difficult transition. They'll try, no doubt, to move a package of plays in for Lamar, probably a quarterback in his first year that he can come in and, and get six snaps a game, let's say, uh, at quarterback that way, and in the second year or, or later uh, take over as a full-time player. And then the Ravens, they had a, actually they had two first-round selections, obviously. They were able to trade back twice, and then they ended up picking Hayden Hurst, the tight end from South Carolina, with the 25th overall pick. What are your kind of thoughts on Hurst and how he fits with this offense? 
I like him in, in a lot of ways. A lot of them mentioned that he's a, he's a good catcher, uh, had zero drops last year, I want to say, and uh, uh, doesn't double catch the ball. Both he and Andrews are, are excellent snatch-the-ball-from-the-air players uh, that, that uh, you know catch the ball one time. You hear this at the Combine a lot, how running backs double catch the ball a lot because they're not as used to uh, their uh, responsibilities as a receiver. But these guys are both very good receivers. Hurst is also a good blocker. And the, the thing that I think we have to look at with Hurst is that the Ravens looked at their tackle situation and said, we need a guy who can also block to put on that right side. And Orlando Brown will really benefit, I think, from having Hurst over there and the chip blocks he can provide to support the passing game. Because Orlando Brown, if anything, he'll have a problem in the NFL with speed. You kind of touched on my next question. I was going to ask you about the uh, the pair of tackles the Ravens selected. Uh, they got Orlando Brown in the third round with the 83rd overall selection. And then later, they got Greg Sennett from Wagner. What are your kind of thoughts about them? And from what I'm reading, Sennett seems like a kind of developmental player, kind of a project, might not even make the team this year. What, what are your kind of thoughts on those guys? Yeah, Sennett, I'm expecting a mysterious injury to come up. If, if, if you're an old, old Simpsons fan, which looks like you're way too young to be, uh, <laughs> Bart, Bart tried to get out of the test by one time claiming he had Amoria phlebitis, or actually that was what the school nurse diagnosed it as. So I think Amoria phlebitis would be a good, uh, a good diagnosis here for, for Sennett. I think IR is the likely landing spot for him. Uh, he won't obviously compete for snaps this year. Orlando Brown should, and he should be installed basically at right tackle. The Ravens' other options are not very good with uh, uh, James Hurst or with Lewis. Uh, neither of them I would give a really high probability to work out at right tackle. I think both of them has a better chance at left guard. So it's Brown in all likelihood, and it's Brown supported by Hurst. If you really look at what it'll do for the Ravens' line, I think you now have a very solid power running game from center to the right with um, Bozeman, Yanda, uh, Brown and Hayden Hurst uh, as the guys. And then Her the other Hurst, James Hurst, proved himself as a puller last year, made a high percentage of his pulls, and that looks pretty good. And then you got the lead block from Patrick Ricard out of, out of a two-back set. So there's a lot to like about how this draft impacted the Ravens' running game positively. So sticking with Brown, everyone wants to talk about his historically bad combine. And how much stock do you really put into something like that? Because the, the, I feel like the tape, I mean uh, – if I'm not mistaken, he allowed uh, no, no sacks. I think he allowed a couple pressures at Oklahoma in his final season. So where do you kind of balance it where it's the tape versus the combine performance, which was obviously historically bad? Okay, well, I, I'm, I'm a big offensive line scoring guy, and since I think the, the biggest thing for offensive linemen is consistency, I'd say I want to watch Orlando Brown's tape myself, which I have not done yet. And when I, when I say that, I've seen Orlando play on tape, of course, but I have not scored an entire game play-by-play -play to see – what I liked about each one. So you're always dealing with somebody else's highlights or somebody else's opinion of a prospect at this point. And, and that's not the way to do it. You really need to go sit down and watch one entire game, not, not handpick pieces from, from uh, what people will give you in highlights. For, for sure, man. And then the Ravens, they took a center from Alabama. Uh, obviously it's Ozzie Newsome going to take it. Got to take at least two Alabama players, right? Bradley Bosman and, I, I know you haven't uh, watched, we talked about before, we haven't seen a lot of him just yet, but let's just say, hypothetically speaking, he does pan out and he does, and he is something. Do the Ravens have any other options at center? Yeah, he's, he's in the mix with, I, I think, now a total of five guys. So before the draft, and not really knowing exactly where he is and rehabbing his injury, I would have said that Nico Siragusa was the guy, based on 
size and shape and the desire to have a mauler at the position, or at least an anchor, would have been the guy the Ravens wanted to win the job. And now I think it's probably Bozeman, so we'll, we'll see if he's the, he's the guy who wins it. You know, they were touting Matt Skura, and Skura, it, I'm afraid, will not have the anchor to play center. He was more of a mobility player at guard and a pick player, I'll call it, at guard, where he could set a block and finish a combination block, but he wasn't the kind of guy uh, who got to, uh, who, who pushed a player or a defensive tackle in front of him. Uh, he didn't grade out real well on PFF, which which a lot of their grade depends on how much you can push another player as well. So uh, I, I liked him in my in my grading system actually much more, but I, I don't think Skura is really going to be the answer. And then you have two other guys. You have uh, Alex Lewis they've talked about at center uh, as being a possibility, and I'm forgetting one. Oh, Marshall Yanda could be moved there, which is a, is an okay plan B as far as I'm concerned. But I don't want to see Marshall Yanda be plan A at center. And the reason is pretty simple. As soon as you move Marshall Yanda from right guard, not only do you lose ability from right guard, but you also lose every ounce of flexibility the offensive line has because his ability to move somewhere is your checkmate move to deal with the uh, uh, offensive line problems that occur due to injury during the season. And so my last question, I wanted to wait to ask this because I wanted to butter you up before I asked you, you know, because it's something that I'm passionate about. So the Ravens, I'm going to go back to the first round. They had the 16th pick, and Tremaine Edmonds and Derwin James were both there, and they, they traded out. They got solid value for, the, for, for trading out. What were your kind of thoughts about that? Did you think that they made the right decision trading out, or should they have just taken one of those players? Yeah, I, personally, I, I think they should have taken Derwin James. He's the kind of talent that you uh, say needs be damned on and you, you move forward on. And I guess I'd question the value consideration. And here's the, here's the way I would do it. If you're trading the 16th selection, they got equivalent value. It was like 1,028 for 1,032 in Jimmy Johnson points, if you want to look at it that way. There's some flatter valuations and some other ways to look at it. I understand that you could use that might swing it a little bit. But here's the other point about, about James, is that he really should have gone eight or 10th, or maybe even before that. But let's say he should have gone 10th. That puts his value at 1,300, not 1,000 for that individual pick. And you really pissed away a substantial portion of the value of the selection you had by not taking James at that point. So I, I wasn't really happy about that. I was, in fact, through the first 15 picks, I was hoping James would drop to the Ravens and force them into a difficult best player available uh, choice. And they, in fact, had two to choose from, and they still... Did not take either. I, I was a little upset by it, and I was more upset when you look two picks ahead at what the Packers got for trading down with the Saints, and they effectively got a, a later number one in the round and also next year's number one to, do, to move down 13 spots. So to me, that was you know, that would have been the bar that we'd have been trying to hurdle for, for the trade of the James selection. Well, you heard it here first. Ken sides with Logan on the Derwin-James debate. Uh, Ken, I just want to thank you so much for coming on, man. You have your podcast tonight. Where can we find that? Yeah, life's good. Uh, on uh, on Russell Street at Report, it'll be there. Or if you want to go subscribe, it's on Audio Stack. Uh, it's Film Study, and the, the host is Josh Soroka, and does a great job. And uh, would love to have you there. For sure, man. Let me know. I'm I'm always down. Thank you so much again. I appreciate it. Take it easy, Logan. All right. I want to thank Kevin McCusick one more time for joining us here at Take It to the Bank podcast. You can find his work on Russell Street Report. He does great work. And now. Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by Baltimore Beatdown writer and Jordan Lasley supporter, Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going, Logan? 
Good, good. Uh, we just went through the draft, and, and, and I, I was informed that you are in support of the Jordan Lasley pick, so I had to get you on here to talk about it. Um, I'll let you start, sir. Uh, you like the pick? Explain why, and we'll go from there. Okay, well, the reason why I like the Jordan Lasley pick is that he's explosive. Um, he can make a lot of great plays. Um, he's athletic. You know, the kind of guy that the you would take a flyer on in the fifth round. I know everybody's worried about his off-the-field issues, but it was, I mean, you know, he was underage drinking, and he had a fake ID, and those are two things that have been solved by the fact that he's 21 years old now. Oh. I mean, he had, he had a couple of suspensions um, on the team. I know he, he got into, you know, a couple of tips with his teammates. Um, but I think coming to the Ravens, he shouldn't have too many of those issues. I mean, it's a pretty tight knit locker room. Um, I don't, I don't know what else to say other than I think the Ravens taking a flyer on someone with that kind of talent, you know, it makes sense in the fifth round. It might not be, you know, the safest of picks that you would make in the fifth round, but it's something that, you know, they could probably iron out. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting that for that perspective because your perspective is different than mine. Um, I'm not one of those people who's too concerned about – I mean, the arrests, sure, they're definitely a red flag. I mean, it was underage drinking. I think everyone who's listening to this has drank and underage at some point in time in their lives. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to judge him for that. But I am going to judge him for getting into a fight with a teammate in practice and getting suspended multiple times and, they, and for breaking the team rules and not even talking about it, you know. And my bigger issue is who else was on the board. Deion Kane I had rated higher. Equinemius St. Brown I had rated higher. I even had Braxton Berrios rated higher. He is explosive. I get that. I understand that he has the talent. But Kyle, this guy has 11, he had 11 drops last season on 92 targets. The Ravens talked about all offseason about how they're going to get receivers that can catch the football. This is not a guy that can catch the football. Yeah, I mean, I... I do agree with you on the fact that he has a, he has drop issues, and I do. I also had Braxton Barrios as a higher rated prospect, but at the same time, you know, you're getting a guy with Wesley who is extremely, extremely, extremely explosive. So I mean, if he does pan out, he could be a guy that's that's a complete steal in the fifth round. I understand like with uh, Barrios and St. Brown. And I, I think uh, St. Brown actually, to me, is another guy that, you know, big boom or bust prospect. I think Barrios was a more safe pick. But with uh, with Leslie and St. Brown, you get, I mean, those are two guys that are, you know, they, I mean, they can, they can go for it. They can go get you touchdowns. They're going to go make those explosive plays that you want to see from your receiving core. So I think that's why the Ravens selected him. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with it. I think it was a good pick personally, but that's also because I've been, you know, I'm used to watching Pac-12 football, so. <laughs> no, and that makes sense. My, my issue, and I brought this up with Kyle, is that, so Michael Crabtree's on a three-year deal. He's 30. Um, John Brown's on a one-year deal, and Willie Steen's on a two-year deal. So in two to three years, this wide receiver core is going to be turned around. In two to three years, you're gonna, your wide receiver core is going to be basically built off of the guys you draft. 
So this is one of the cornerstone picks that you were going to need for wide receiver, and you don't, and, and you take a guy like this who's boomer bust, who's risky. I'm not so mad about. I mean, the selection pisses me off. But why didn't you target a receiver earlier? That was my biggest issue. Why didn't you get a receiver earlier in the draft? You know what I mean? Why did you wait till round five and, and pass up on all those different guys? Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with that. I mean, personally, I'm surprised to, to see that the Ravens didn't select a receiver earlier on. Um, it just didn't make too much sense to me that they, you know, Hayden Hurst is a, is, he's a good player. But I also think that, you know, when they traded back, you would have thought that at 22, when they when they did trade back initially, that you know DJ Moore would be right there for the taking. That's the kind of guy that I think at 22, that's ex that's probably around where you expected him to be. But the fact that they didn't take DJ Moore, and they wanted they wanted to get more explosive at the receiver position, you wanted a guy that was going to be one of your cornerstone receivers. It just didn't make much sense to me. Um, that's why I actually gave the Hayden Hurst pick a B minus. It wasn't because Hayden Hurst isn't a good player. It's just that now you have a situation where you have two tight ends and you don't have, you know, a guy that's going to start at receiver. I mean, you wanted a guy who, I mean, John Brown is a question mark. Um, and then you have, uh, you have um, Willie Sneed who, you know, is a slot guy. So you don't, you don't really have a number two receiver right now. You have you have a question mark and you have a slot guy. So with with that being said, you know, and Michael Crabtree is not really a number one receiver; he's a number two himself. So you got you got a situation on your hands where you don't have a guy that can be a potential number one receiver. I mean, at least with with things being said right now, you know, and these guys being underdeveloped. I mean, I just don't see why they didn't draft a receiver in the first round. That just didn't make much sense to me, or in the second round, for that matter. Well, they, they traded away I mean, I know they, yeah, yeah, they traded away Yeah, I wonder why they didn't there. trade back in. That's, that's, that's sure. what I meant. I mean, they, they definitely had the, uh, the ammo to go there and get up in the second round if they yeah. deemed fit. But, I mean, the guys who they wanted could have been there. And I, and I, I know you're really busy. Uh, I'm going to let you go after this question. I just want to get your overall thoughts and then a grade on this draft. I know you're not a big Lamar Jackson guy, but give, I'm, me, I'm give actually, me your grades on this. You know, I actually, I actually, uh, I am a Lamar Jackson guy. It's Whoa. just that I don't understand. I mean, me, I think the Ravens should have went with a receiver instead. It's not because of, and I, I mean, I rated the pick high because I think in the end it'll work out. Um, I just also don't understand why they didn't supplement. I mean, for the, for years, you know, you would think that the Ravens would supplement Joe Flacco with some receiving help in the draft, but they continue to, you know, ignore that. And now you have a quarterback in Lamar Jackson, who now the only, you know, weapon that he really will have for sure in about a year or two, you know, is, is, uh, you know, Crabtree, well, there was two guys, Crabtree and Hurst. The other guys are question marks at this point, so I don't I don't necessarily understand, you know, why you're going to go quarterback if you don't give, you know, him some, some more weapons to work with. They don't have many weapons. But as a whole, you know, they did get him some tight ends, which I do like now if you uh, – if you, I mean, if you're keeping score, I mean, these tight ends are pretty good guys. 
I know uh, everybody's kind of iffy on the Mark Andrews pick. I think as a second tight end, that's fine. Like he's a he's a very good second tight end slot guy. I mean, that's what you want out of your second tight end. You're not gonna get. I mean, that's the reason why he is a second tight end because he can't block. Aiden Hurst is a way more complete prospect at tight end, so that just makes sense. And then when you have you have Lamar Jackson, I mean, Lamar Jackson is is very. I mean, he's very talented. So you got Hayden Hurst, Lamar Jackson, Orlando Brown's a very good pick. I think high pick of value. He was supposed to be a first round pick, but um, obviously at that weak combine. So, I mean, you got a guy who on tape shows you all the potential in the world and he played really well. I mean, he was Baker Mayfield's guy. So you got two of Baker Mayfield's, you know, guys, out of Oklahoma who both uh, made him look pretty good. So, I mean, it's not, not a b- two bad picks right there. Those are two very good picks as for some of the later picks. Yeah. Kenny young from UCLA. He seeing him as well. He's, he has a high motor, you know, he's going to chase down running backs. That's a really good pick at uh for middle linebacker. He might be one of those guys that, uh, you know, the Ravens love to, put middle linebackers in even if they're undrafted guys I mean we've seen that the past couple of seasons with uh Zachary Orr and Patrick Anawasser and we also uh you know that's just something that the Ravens do it's a it's a good pick um I know he's a later round guy but you know it doesn't hurt to have a, a middle linebacker possibly for the future um safety Deshaun Elliott oh my goodness this is a very smart pick most one of the I, I mean personally I think that's the most intelligent pick of the draft you get a thumping safety that fits in the box you know and you can still make plays so I mean he's a guy that you gotta like at that uh I mean and I mean he, he just is a very high value pick um and I mean overall get this draft to be you know it's not the it's not the greatest of drafts but it's a draft that's going to take the the Ravens forward for sure. They're going to they're going to be a better team because of this draft. And I mean, I as of right now, I'd put them at a borderline playoff team. Um I think it's going to be might be some of the same from last season. We don't know yet. Uh but I I mean the offense won't be worse. I can tell you that. <laughs> they actually have tight ends now. And more than one tight end. They have two you know, good tight ends on paper. We don't know what they're gonna do yet in the NFL. So, but uh, yeah. Other than that, I think this is you know a pretty solid draft. They're gonna be a better team. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with you on that one. Uh, I think Elliot maybe great value pick. A question is fit in the scheme, and and because they already have a guy just like it. They have two guys pretty much just like him. So I'm kind of kind of worried about it, about where his fit's gonna be really in the system, but. Yeah, I'm, I I can't really complain too much about the draft. I think if anything else, it's, it's just a B. But uh, I want to thank you so much, Kyle, for coming on, man, just spending some time with us. I know you're busy at the Orioles game right now watching them lose. But uh, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. All right, I want to thank Kyle J. Andrews for coming on, talking to me about some things. Uh, Kyle had an interesting take about Jordan Lasley. I definitely disagree with him about that. But now we welcome on. Another Baltimore beatdown editor, Vasily Lorikos. Vasily, what's going on, man? 
Doing great. Uh, excited about the draft. Favorite time of year. Let's kind of look into the overall NFL landscape. What do you think about this draft? Give me, give me what we're gonna go kind of back and forth here. Give me one of your winners. Why you think they were a winner? I have five winners, uh, and four of them are in the NFC. And the NFC is, uh, I think the NFC is going to dominate the AFC, the 2018 season, by the way. Uh, let me kick it off with the Dallas Cowboys. Selected Vander Esch, the inside linebacker from Boise in the first. Very similar prospect to uh, their current uh, team, uh, defensive captain, Sean Lee. They, they went then uh, circled around and took Connor Williams, a tackle from Texas. Uh, very strong value pick at that point in my mind. And then he will really solidify that line five across, whether he, he plays right tackle or left guard um, or when they kick Collins inside. Either way, that line is going to continue to be a force. Then they took your boy Gallup. Um, and then on day three, they landed strong-arm quarterback Mike White, as as well as Alabama tailback, powerback Bo Scarborough, who should be a nice uh, change of pace, you know, kill the clock in the fourth quarter, punishing runner behind that line. One of my winners is the Tennessee Titans. They only had four selections, but I thought they got great value for every single pick that they had. Uh, as we mentioned before, uh, they traded up to get Rashawn Evans, a uh, linebacker from Alabama, who I think fits perfectly for what they need. A nice, rangy linebacker, got sideline to sideline speed. He's similar to C.J. Mosley, where he's kind of that jack-of-all-trades guy. But I love, I love him in coverage. I think he's better than Mosley in coverage. Evans could be a better linebacker than Mosley when it's all said and done. 41st overall selection, they took Harold Landry, who some considered a top-10 pick. They got him in with the 41st pick, which is a huge steal. Landry had great production in college. Really good edge rusher, definitely what they needed again. And then 152nd, we already mentioned they took Dan Crookshank, who I think is a great safety. Like I said, rangy, got all the speed, got all the athletic ability, can certainly play multiple positions there in the secondary. Great value for that. And then they took Luke Falk with the 199th pick. I'm not a big Luke Falk guy. I don't, I'm not sure how his skill set's going to translate. Played in that, that kind of weird system at Washington State, that air raid type system. So I'm not really sure what's going to happen with that. But Great value for him. Great picks for the Titans. For me, the Titans are definitely a winner. I can't disagree. I can't disagree. Uh, moving on, uh, Chicago Bears were also a big winner in, uh, to me. They they landed a Rokon Smith, really 1A, 1B with Edmonds as far as inside linebacker. Uh, some say sideline to sideline speed. Um, good in coverage. He, he's the piece they need to kind of lead that defense and bring it all together. Then they... Then they uh, landed James Daniels, the Iowa interior lineman. He's going to pair with Cody Whitehair and uh, Long to form one of the best interior blocking groups in the, in the entire league for Jordan Howard to, uh, to bust it up there uh, behind. And then Anthony Miller, another good value pick, one of the un more underrated wide receivers in this class, will team with both their free agent acquisitions, uh, Robinson as well as Gabriel, to really give Trubisky uh, the pieces he needs to, to make some noise this year. Another one of my winners, uh, we already mentioned them before, the Green Bay Packers. They had a decent amount of selections, and I thought, again, they got great value for all of their picks. Uh, they ended up, they traded back, and then they traded back up in the first round to get Jair Alexander, a uh, cornerback from Louisville, who some considered a top three corner in this draft. And then they somehow, some way, got Josh Jackson at the 45th overall pick. Josh Jackson was considered by some to be a top, ten, top two corner in this class. 
Love the picks there. They needed help in the secondary, especially a corner, and they got it after they traded away Demarius Randall. Uh, they got one of one of my favorite wide receiver prospects, Jamon Moore from Missouri. Great size, a little bit of a slower guy, but good red zone ability. And then they and then they got the steal of the draft, and I'm convinced of it. And I know I've said it a couple times, but Equinemius St. Brown. They got him in the two. They got him with the 207th overall pick. High upside. You even said that you think he is the highest upside of any receiver in this class. He's got all the skills. He's got all the ability you need. It's just kind of a question of, is it going to translate? I know he has a couple character concerns. A couple people are concerned about his work ethic and things like that. But the bottom line is this kid can ball. And I think, I think that his stats at Notre Dame, once Kaiser left, went down. And I think that people are undervaluing that. Absolutely. Green Bay nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. I think with the two corners, they – well, St. Brown's my boy. You know that. Uh, with the two corners they added, now they, they may have the, one of the best secondaries in the league. You team them up with uh, Clinton Dix. Uh, Kevin King, the corner they took last year, as well as Jones, the safety they took last year. And uh, that's that's the kind of secondary you need to protect the, the lead that uh, Aaron Rodgers will uh, provide. Um, okay, my next winner is going to be the Atlanta Falcons. They got Calvin Ridley uh, late in the first, which is a good value pick, going with pairing him with Julio. We'll, we'll give Matt Ryan um, some good uh, – some good potential there. And then they also took Isaiah Oliver in the second. Very good corner. He, he probably went a little later than most expected. He's going to just continue to add to that hyper-athletic young defense. And uh, and then the defensive tackle, Senate, um, he's a good anchor besides Grady Jarrett. So I thought they had a very solid draft all the way around. I'll conclude our best classes. Um, you already touched on Green Bay. So I'll go with the Miami Dolphins. They, they ended up with Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, a movable chess piece, versatile matchup type of uh, safety slash corner. Then they took my guy, Jasicki, who I've mentioned, big-time mismatch. So between those two, they should be able to make some plays in the middle of the field on both sides of the ball. Then they took Jerome Baker, a rangy linebacker, a little bit underrated out of Ohio State. And uh, the, the, the uh, running back from A-State we mentioned before, Kalen Balaj. It's got a lot of untapped potential. I just want to give a quick shout-out to Mike McGlinchey. Uh, he went ninth overall to the San Francisco 49ers, and I think that's a great fit for him. I think that uh, although the San Francisco 49ers not one of my winners, I'm going to make McGlinchey one of my winners because I think he goes in a great system with Jimmy Garoppolo and that offense. I, I really believe they made a great pick. I think they could have went a couple different directions there, maybe Fitzpatrick or James, or maybe they could have went linebacker with Edmonds, but they got McGlinchey, and I think it's a great fit for them. But moving on with winners, there are losers, unfortunately. And I could be eating my words with this, but I'm going to say it. The Pittsburgh Steelers are my biggest loser from this draft. I just don't understand mo many of their selections. Uh, with the first-round pick, they took Terrell Edmonds. And to me, that was a horrible pick with Jesse Bates and Justin Reed still on the board. Both would have fit their system a lot better than I believe Edmonds will. Edmonds could have a role with them in, a, in that hybrid linebacker spot a little bit on, on the nickel and dime packages, but I still don't understand this pick. This is way ahead of his range. I didn't think, I thought this was a huge reach by Pittsburgh, and I just don't understand it. Uh, they took James Washington with the, their second-round pick, and again, I don't understand it. Uh, James Washington, to me, wasn't a top six or seven receiver. I, I have my concerns with his size. Uh, he's got good hands, and but I, I'm also worried about his route running. How is that going to translate? Because again, in that weird system, he drew a lot of one-on-one -on -one matchups. Just because of the scheme, how can he play against NFL defenses and NFL corners? Not to mention he played a lot of those big 12 corners who 
honestly aren't that good. I mean, you'll, you'll notice how many Big 12 corners really got selected this year, or just members in the secondary in general. And then Mason Rudolph, that's the only pick I really liked for Pittsburgh. I thought I think Rudolph is one of the one of those quarterbacks who's flying under the radar. He's got great potential. He's got he's got the arm to make all the NFL throws. So he's got he's got to work on his football IQ and his decision making, but I think that he has the potential if he sits under Big Ben for a couple years to be a solid starter for the Steelers. Uh, Chuck's Okor 4 to me was a terrible pick. I thought that was ahead of his range, but that could also speak to how poor this tackle class really was. Got sloppy, sloppy footwork, but he's a solid athlete. I understand the pick, but he's not going to be a day one contributor. Marcus Allen was great value for them with the it, with the 148th overall selection, but again, I worry about his fit with that system because he's very his skill set's very similar to Edmonds. So you kind of drafted two guys who are pretty much going to be competing with each other for spots. I don't know why you wouldn't go Bates there and then you go Allen. And then they got one of the most versatile guys in the draft with uh, Jalen Samuels, running back, tight end, fullback type guy. Um, solid pick. I know you like it. You're a little bit higher on it than I am, but he can do it. He can do it all for them for sure. Definitely make an impact in the passing game. But I, I just question what they were thinking with this draft because to me this draft set them back for the future. I cannot disagree, Logan. I think you uh, you really touched on the issues. Pittsburgh is the biggest loser. Edmonds was the biggest reach of the entire draft in my mind. And uh, Washington, I'm, as you said, I'm, I'm very skeptical that his game is going to translate. He got away with uh, some quirky roots against Big 12 competition, and he just tested very poorly. Um, he didn't not only did he not run fast, but he did miserably on the agility testing at the combine. Rudolph, and I'm not a fan of Rudolph's arm. Um, another loser, and tell me if you agree, were the John Gruden's Oakland Raiders. Um, Colton Miller was a big reach. He's a project. He's one of those guys that that uh, tests better than he looks, or he tests athletically, or he looks at. <laughs> Got to cut that. Um, he tested well, but he looks very unathletic on tape. Then they reached again for Parker, who you already mentioned, as well as a defensive tackle Hall. Uh, but they did salvage, redeem their draft a touch with Mohurst, the penetrating defensive tackle out of Michigan, as well as uh, Marcel Aitman, um, who, who does have some untapped potential. I don't put them in the loser category because of the Mo Hurst and the Marcel Aitman and the Arden Key selections. I don't think they're a winner by any stretch, but to me that was just a solid draft. It wasn't. I can't put them in a winner or loser category just yet. I just have to see what happens with Hurst because if because Hurst was let's not forget Hurst was considered one of the best defensive tackles in this class, in this class, and then all of a sudden the guy uh, has the heart condition. Everyone's unknown about his health and his durability concerns. And then he slides down the draft board. He slid pretty far. A lot of people weren't, weren't expecting that. Uh, one of my other big losers for this draft had to have been the Seattle Seahawks. I Again, I question a lot about what they're thinking in, the, in that draft room. They drafted, instead of taking an offensive lineman like they desperately need to protect Russell Wilson, they took Rashad Penny with, the first overall, with their first pick. And I don't get it. Uh, Rashad Penny could have been had in the second round. Rashad Penny was certainly not worth a first-round selection. And with so with other offensive linemen still on the board, I thought you could have made a you could have made a run there because they ended up trading back. They had the 18th pick. They traded back with the Packers. Um, Rasheem Green to me that's a little bit early for that defensive tackle. Not a huge fan of him. Will Disley again another tight end I wasn't pretty high on. But they did get Shaquem Griffin, which which I know has is a great story and. I, interested about that pick. I think that's an interesting pick for them. I'm curious how he fits in their defense, what they do with him. Because I know everyone's talking about 
everyone seemingly has a different idea of what he can do in the NFL and what position he can play. Is, is he going to be an edge rusher? Some people think he's got the athletic ability to kind of play that that linebacker on, on nickel and dime packages as well. So there's there's a lot of different roles that athletically you think that he could play in. It's just a kind of question of can he do it because at college in college he was strictly just an edge rusher. So que- questionable selections for the Seahawks. Not a huge fan of what they did, but I did like the Shaquem Griffin pick for them for several reasons. Yeah, Griffin makes some sense for them. That might be the best landing spot he could have found. Uh, they'll probably do some of the same things he did with Bruce Irvin off the edge, and it, it is probably the best scheme fit uh, for Griffin. And hey, we're all we're all rooting for him. Um, for my my final loser of the 2018 NFL Draft is the New Orleans Saints. They 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 gave up way too much for Marcus Davenport, the 27th pick in the first round. Uh, of, the, of the 2018 class, a 2019 first rounder and a fifth rounder to go up and get the raw um, edge rusher out of uh, UTSA, Texas San Antonio. Um, he's just raw. He's uh, basically you watch you put on his tape and he just bull rushes Conference USA, uh, you know, left tackles and right tackles, and it's not very impressive when he's bigger than them. I think he needs a lot of development. The other pick from New Orleans that uh, I was very uh, skeptical of was they reached for Florida State offensive tackle of Rick Leonard, and that was I, – I watched a lot of Florida State football. That's my uh, my favorite college team, and he, he did not deserve – I actually thought he was going to go undrafted, and uh, that, that was a big head-scratcher in my mind. Yes, I'm actually switching it up. Originally, I had the Lions as my final loser, but I just, honestly, the Bills, I couldn't, I can't get over it. I don't love their draft. I I think that they had a couple solid picks, but to me, to take Josh Allen over Josh Rosen, and I I know that you're not big on him, uh, to me is is a joke. Um, I I know that I, I had Rosen, I had Rosen higher rated over Allen, and to me, Allen is a terrible fit in that system. Everyone's going to talk about his big arm and what they want to do, and everyone's everyone is telling me how great of a fit it is. But to me, Allen's going to be a bust. He's Jake Locker, Jake Locker, or Kyle Bowler, whichever one you want to pick. Two point um, They got Tremaine Evans with in, with the sixteenth pick, excuse me, which is great value. But after that, they didn't really do anything that impressed me. They got Wyatt Teller, who I thought was a solid guard from Virginia Tech, and they got Ray Ray, Ray McLeod from Clemson, but. Overall, I don't think they improved themselves. I think that, that they they had some decent momentum and some things that they could have built upon from last year's runs of the playoffs, but the reality is is they were duds in this draft. Uh, no, no question, no question. We'll see how he, we'll see how he pans out. I mean, uh, I think that's that's pretty much it, Logan. Um, final thoughts on a, on a somewhat of an odd uh, 2018 NFL draft. I know we'll have a lot more coming in the coming uh, episodes. All right, well, that's... Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Take It to the Bank. I just want to thank uh, Vasily Larikos, uh, Kem McCusick, Film Study, obviously very well-known in Baltimore, came on and talked to us about the draft. Uh, Kyle P. Barber and Kyle J. Andrews, I want to thank all those guys for coming on. We had a great show. We had a great time breaking down the draft for you guys and interacting with us. Um, I just want to give a quick shout-out uh, to, and I'm probably going to butcher your name, and I do apologize for that, but I want to give a quick shout-out to Anthony... Favela, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, but I want to give a quick shout out to him because we have our first official contest. The first comment on my on my AFC North uh, grades breakdown, and he said LJ Lamar Jackson will be the starting Ravens starting quarterback by week eight. So with that. 
comment. I, I felt it was fair, and I know this is your project too, so I wanted to let you know on the air. I told him that if that happens, he will have an open invitation to be on this podcast. Awesome, awesome. can do it for us. we got plenty of bass in the song coming up after this, so uh, with that, we're out. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.